Anachutes, Chapter 16 The fat gray cat kept brushing against my legs under the table. He likes cookies, the old woman said, fishing a sugar cookie from a tin bearing Danish windmills and set it on the floor. The old cat moved surprisingly quickly onto that little wafer and began to bite it into pieces onto the carpet. Now he'll leave you alone. He's more like a dog than a cat, she said. Then we sat in thick silence in the little black room, curtained off behind the counter, listening to the cat crush its treat. The room bore all the signs of an old woman's nest. The walls and high window sills, along with many of the surfaces, were littered with photographs and doilies. A basket, set next to her easy chair, bristled with knitting needles protruding from balls of yarn, placed a little too close to an aged space eater. An old TV with a wooden housing that probably saw the moon landing set across the tiny room. The pigtail grandma offered me a cookie, which I took out of politeness but had no intention of eating. I was too keyed up. I just sat there watching the steam rise off the coffee she had served me. There was no way I was going to drink that, even if I wasn't that wound up. The last time I felt the muddy acridness of coffee in my mouth was around the same time I fell down the rabbit hole as the good Dr. Heinz. After she settled in on a well-worn chair by her knitting bag and positioned her cup and saucer just as she wanted them in her lap, the old woman broached the subject. So, how do you know so much about my mother? I frowned. There was no way this woman could ever be her daughter, and I felt like I didn't know her anything. And it was mine, even if somehow this lady found an old photo. I stared down at my Adidas, thinking what to tell her as the cat crunched away at its biscuit. Was it this Ancestry.com thing on the computer, she asked. Are we related? You look German. No, I said softly, shaking my head. Why do you think she's your mother? Because my uncle told me so, she smiled. And I used to look like her when I was younger, and so does my granddaughter. So you never knew your mother, or met her then, I said. She raised a questioning, somewhat stern eyebrow. No, not in the conventional sense, she finally admitted. As you have somehow learned, she died in her teens. But since moving back here, I feel that her spirit is near me sometimes. You've seen her, I asked. Her spirit? I feel her, I think, she said. Now, young man, why do you think with such great insistence that she was not my mother? I sighed and felt something like a dam breaking inside of me. I fixed my gaze on the brass ends of the TV legs. Because she was murdered by her father after being forced to have an abortion, I said, not liking how talking about it seemed to make it real again. How do you know this? The old woman finally asked. Her voice broke slightly. I looked away from the TV legs to see her eyes filling with tears. I was there, I said knowing she wouldn't believe me. She stared at me carefully. If you were there, then you would have known, she breathed heavily, trying to control her voice, that I survived. She bit her upper lip and pulled it into her mouth, blinking away the tears. Now, she said with a sigh, why did you come here? Is this some sort of prank you play for one of those disgusting TV shows? She said, her voice rising and sounding hurt. I shook my head. You won't believe me, I said. I thought about it for a moment. The cards were already on the table. It didn't matter anyway, so I told her what had happened. All of it. Meeting Anna on the airstrip, our holding hands and being close, my descent into that basement, and how I began to interact in a virtual carnival of the deceased. I told her about the night of the abortion, and seeing Anna murdered in the woods. The old woman's eyes were wet as she shook her head, and slowly stroked the fat cat now curled in her lap. She plucked a tissue from a box on the end table, and wiped her eyes. That was a very bad time for people here, she explained, studying my face as if still trying to see if I was truthful. 
My uncle wasn't really my uncle, but I didn't know that until he got sick with cancer in 1973. He told me of the night during the war when an SS man who had been working on the kazoon appeared in the clinic and ordered the doctor there to perform an abortion. He told me that the girl, my mother Anna, must have hit her pregnancy well because she was already well into the third trimester. My uncle performed a C-section, not really an abortion. My grandfather was so distracted and angry he didn't know the difference, and the doctor was able to pass me off to a nurse. That night, Dr. Heinz took me home to his own family. My grandfather, she paused, the SS man, came a few days later to pick up Anna, who was recovering in the clinic. He dragged her away, kicking and screaming in her hospital gown, and there was nothing anyone could do. You didn't trifle with those people. I guessed it must have been some time after Anna's father came to get her that she somehow broke free from him and tried to run, even with a fresh wound in her abdomen, forever running in a hospital robe around the post near where he caught up with her and murdered her. Uncle Holtz had brought me home to his wife, he never heard from my grandfather again, and after the war we moved to Milwaukee and then to Dallas where I grew up being told that my parents were killed in the war, and I was raised by my aunt and uncle. She shot a look at me. They really were good people, she emphasized. They treated me like their own daughter, bought me clothes and helped me with school. She stared at some fixed point on the wall again. I don't know why they do what they do in wars. You talk about those experiments, and I think my uncle had been involved with them. I knew him as a patient, kind man, but before he died, he said he had done things in the clinic that were wrong. Maybe what I saw wasn't exactly what your uncle saw. Maybe he wasn't as involved as it seems, I offered. She nodded slowly, though her face seemed less than comforted. Before my uncle passed, he said that I was his salvation, that I helped them feel redeemed. She dabbed at her eye with a crinkled tissue. It was quiet for a while, except for the purring of the fat cat. Can I ask why you keep a photo of your grandfather up? It was kind of rude, but considering what we had just talked about, nothing seemed off limits. Because my mom's in it, she said matter-of-factly. I think also because he was still my grandfather. In Germany, we don't have the luxury of erasing our roots as quickly as you do back in the States. I moved here in part at least to be closer to my mother. You believe me, right? I asked. She frowned, then nodded. I don't know how else you could have known these things. I assume you don't want any money or film rights to my life or something. I shook my head. Then she gave a little smile. I think it will take time. It's like an old scar being reopened. She went on to tell me about her quest, after living in Germany for a while, to find out more about her grandfather. Eventually, his name, along with a lot of documentation about his service record, had surfaced in documents at the local archives. He, too, had died during the war, but they didn't say how. What I was really trying to find out, I think, was how someone I was related to could have been so terrible. What did you find out? I asked. She shrugged. My uncle said he believed that my grandfather had loved my mother in some oddly possessive way of his only girl. After a while, I started to wonder if perhaps... She paused as if debating if she didn't want to reveal something... Maybe the reason why he had been so angry and so violent towards his pregnant daughter might not have been an old-fashioned virginity obsession. He was a ruthless, aggressive man in the SS. I wonder at the possibility that he might have been using his pretty young daughter to climb the SS circles. It took a moment to sink in. Then I frowned and realized what she was saying. Perhaps discovering the pregnancy snapped him to the reality and he was so ashamed it was easier to blame her than to accept his own guilt. I am so sorry, I said. I really meant it. 
I was sorry I'd bothered her, sorry I'd asked her, sorry I brought it all up in a version almost worse than the nightmares I'd lived through in that clinic. She shook her head as she stroked the now-sleeping cat. It's okay, she offered, softly with an odd calmness. What about your father? I asked, wondering if it was even a good idea. I've never found him. I wouldn't know where to look, but I get the feeling he's gone now, too. Her pretty teenage granddaughter peeked into the tiny room. How much is this one? She held up a paint-by-numbers drawing of a wolf howling at the moon. I laughed and sighed, realizing that this was what my buddies in the shop had settled on as a Mother's Day gift. That girl really did look like Anna. She left us after getting the price, and the old woman leaned forward and took her coffee cup from the table. I could see hers was mostly full, too. The cat in her lap refused to move. She sat back and crossed her hands over her belly and bit her lip pensively. You say that Anna was killed in the woods. I saw a flash of that skull and ushered the thought away. If we go in my car, will you show me where? I frowned, wondering why she would ever want to go there. Then figured maybe the old woman was like me. Maybe in a quest for Anna, she didn't mind the morbid and macabre. She's still out there, I warned. I gauged her face for a reaction. She only gave me a look of calm credulity. I think I need to see. I frowned again, not wanting to go back there, but I felt like I needed to help her. We left her granddaughter to run things, and then fired up an ancient Citroen 2CV. It looked more like a beetle than the German VW Bugs, complete with crocheted seat covers she had tailored herself. We drove back to the other tiny little post across town, where we showed our ID cards at the gate. She had a civilian worker's one. We followed the asphalt to where the woods began, and I did my best not to nervously play with the knob on the old-fashioned window crank. There were three MP cars parked by the trail that led into the woods, and a black Ivico van. The police were milling around. One was talking to a radio velcroed to his shoulder. Oh dear, she said. To my terror, she pulled right up to the scene and rolled down her window. I did not want to mess with the MPs anymore or be associated with whatever was going on. I wanted to hide under the dash. I slumped low and tried to casually hide my face with my arm, pretending to massage my neck. Excuse me, what is the trouble? She called to the MPs. They exchanged glances for a moment. Then one approached the car. Ma'am, we need you to keep the road clear, he said, waving his arm in the direction he wanted her to go. Whatever is the matter? Two men appeared from the woods carrying a long, thin, almost empty-looking body bag on a rigid gurney. She said, I just wanted to thank you for listening. I hope that you like the story. Right now, this podcast is available on YouTube. It's available on Podbean, Stitcher, and iTunes. So if you're not already listening to the story in your preferred format, please look at the links below and find what you need. If you go onto Facebook and do a search for Keystrokes Amid Cobwebs, you can find our Facebook page and learn more about the show and also potential future shows. So please get on there so we can become friends. And finally, I'm really looking for feedback. Do you like the story? Do you hate it? What are some things you enjoyed or things you would change? Um, if you can, please give me an email at keystrokesamidthecobwebs at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Thank you.